Care Coach Lead Show. This is Andrew Frezza. I got our coaches from FitTown, Melissa Dixon and Austin Bettigrew joining me today. And today we're going to talk about how to know when to scale and how to have a reliable system for scaling um, and really talking about things that I think a lot of coaches do intuitively um, or maybe some coaches are not doing at all and shining a light on that and maybe having a more clear system for it um, so we can scale better in classes and we can scale more proactively in classes. So that's really where we wanted to kick it off was talking about like proactive versus reactive scaling. And you know, when you start to think about some of these categories and you have, you get to know your athletes and your clients on a really one-on-one -on -one level, you can do a lot more proactive scaling, which is done, you know, in advance could be weeks or days in advance where every time this shows up, you do that. Or it could be done the day of before class where you say, hey, we have this in the workout. I know you have this issue, this upcoming event, this injury, and I'd like you to do this today as opposed to that because I think it's going to be better for your current situation. Um, whereas reactive scaling is more of that scaling that happens because someone's in the middle of the workout, they're in pain, something doesn't feel right, something doesn't look right, their technique is off. And in that moment, we're saying, hey, I don't think this thing's working. We got to lower the weight. We got to go for a different movement. And even though you might get to the same end result, which is scaling that person, and you might give them the exact same scaled movement, um, it, it's a different feeling. It's a different experience for the client when you do the reactive side versus the proactive side. And I find that the reactive side feels like a takeaway for the athlete versus the proactive side can feel like a customization, an individualization. It feels like you're going out of the way to deliver value to that person, and it can be a huge value add as opposed to takeaway. Yeah, I was gonna add to that, whereas if, if it's a reactive, so I'll give an example actually of a class I had the other day. I had no idea that one of our clients had broke her toe, <laughs> um, and this was random news to me too. She came up and said, hey, I broke my toe, and I was looking at the word guy, I'm like, this is a lot of lower body stuff. So like, um, I had to think about it for a second and I could tell just the fact that I was like, yeah, just give me just a second. I'll, I'll think of something that's a takeaway, you know, like even though like maybe it's not a huge takeaway, it's like there, there wasn't a plan in place for if this were to happen, I didn't have anything ready to go. So had I just, you know, looked at the workout, had multiple plans, like if it's a lower body foot injury, we'll do this or what, you know, have something in my mind. Um, I think it could have been more of a more closer skewed to a proactive, although it's hard to be proactive when you just kind of find something on the spot. But I had to like, I couldn't just give her an answer right away. I had to be like, let me think about it because the workout has so many things and then what's tomorrow, what's the next day, is it gonna affect those if I give you one of these type of movements? So um, that's just an example of like having to be reactive and although I don't think it was a big takeaway for her, like she's thankful that she had a scale, um, I still think if those happen, time and time again, it can start looking bad um, for a coach. Yeah, I think that's 10 times better than the alternative, which would have been mid-workout. You see her doing something weird mm -hmm. and you're like, hey, uh, you know, like your weight's way in your heels, put your full foot on the ground. Right. And then she's like, oh, I have my broken toe. And then in the middle of workout, you're scrambling to make that change. Right. And yes, you got to the same, potentially same result, which is modifying her, learning about her broken toe, but it happened like in the middle of this intensity, it didn't happen, you know, yours was still somewhat proactively. I feel like another layer to that um, 
that takeaway feeling is the feeling that I didn't get to decide this as an athlete. And when you proactively scale someone and you're having a conversation before class starts, like, oh, hey, you do have a broken toe, it still falls into that like collaborative experience mm -hmm. of like, oh, well, what do you think about soccer taps? What Can you bear weight on one foot? What do you think about doing a step up? Will you be able to step down on the same leg? And having them participate in their choices feels so much better as an athlete than in the middle of a workout saying like, no, go do this because this looks unsafe. They're like, oh, well, I'm just being directed to do this. I don't get to choose. I don't get to like collaborate with you and feel like they own that scale with you. So they're likely not going to do it as well or as an intentional as you want them to just because it feels like it's more dictated. Yeah, I think that's huge. So we're going to go through a bunch of different um, categories that we should be scaling for. And again, this is where I said, some of you guys are probably already doing this intuitively, but maybe we can shine on a light on some places that you're not proactively scaling already, um, or just how we can do it in a more strategic fashion as opposed to reactive fashion. So the first one that we have on here is current range of motion. Okay, We should be thinking about scaling for our clients based on their current range of motion. Okay. So for us, we test this via a movement assessment. And even if someone hasn't done our full movement assessment or they haven't done it in a while, if we're doing a deadlift day and we see a potential issue, we could have them stop, do a quick touch their toes test and, and see what's there. If they're struggling with their squat and it looks like an ankle mobility issue, we can do a quick test to see what their ankles look like in a group or one-on-one -on -one setting and then make that adjustment on the fly. But just knowing someone's flexibility as a general rule, whether it's through assessments or not, it is huge for understanding what do we want them to do and what do we not want them to do. I think this is big, um, mostly in you know coming from the CrossFit space, a lot of things are standards. The word standard, it drives me crazy sometimes because standards are a sport thing. They're not a, they're not a movement thing. And when you try to box everyone into the same standard, you, you might actually be creating more of an issue for some of these athletes. So um, we're always trying to obviously improve current range of motion if, if they lack any of it, but to try to just say, you know, you have to you know, bottom out on a wall ball every single rep is that's a little ridiculous if, you know, someone's coming back from like a reconstructive knee surgery, like that's, that's not wise. So I think that's huge and, um, you know, the more you've been with an athlete, the more you're better to kind of game plan with them. Hopefully you've had a one-on-one -on -one conversation or you guys have some sort of mapped out plan to get them back or get them, you know, moving towards a four-inch motion if that's something they're wanting to work towards or have the ability to do. I think it comes into play too of like, you know, coaches, coaches always have to see something, right? So like, I think the standard comes into play when coaches think they're seeing a fault, you know, someone trying to get all the way overhead who doesn't have full, you know, mobility in their shoulders or trying to kip and saying, push your head through or chest bump in front of you and trying to get them into places that they know are going to benefit their technique um, without looking at it as a mobility issue, without saying like, oh, okay, well, maybe this person actually physically can't and taking them a step back and putting them into a corrective um, scale something that's going to be better overall for their health especially when it comes to like shoulder mobility of like maybe we shouldn't be trying to kip when you're trying to kip and you can't get to this position and helping that client understand where they are instead of just trying to hit a standard that people are trying to cue and correct them into 
Because it's like a lot of times I don't feel like people in our gym necessarily are falling into the category of the sport standard, but watching what their eye sees and the disconnect between what the movement is happening in front of them and what they think it should be to be able to be in a certain pattern. So I think coaches often fall in that like, how do I get them further instead of looking at the actual exercise that they're doing and is this going to lead them to further in the future and is there some kind of corrective I can put them on instead of just trying to like beat their head against the wall saying like put your head through the window or mm -hmm. trying to say it in so many different ways and um and then just you know perpetuating that that tightness yeah it just it gives you a simple approach of like is this a cueing issue or is this a scaling issue mm -hmm. and I think just understanding that if it's a range of motion issue, it's most likely a scaling issue, getting them the appropriate movement as opposed to I have to cue them better as a coach into these positions. Yeah, if they don't have that range of motion, there's no amount of cueing that's going to be effective in that moment. It's not it's not on them to execute. It's not on you to execute. It's, it's where can we put them that's going to be the best service for them. Yeah. The next one we're going to talk about is age and gender. So I think when it comes to age, we're really mainly talking about the outliers, the people on that, are, that are on the much older end of the spectrum, and then the people that are on the much younger end of the spectrum are kids and teens. Those could also fun, fall under special populations, which we'll talk about later, um, but that's really the biggest consideration with age. And then when it comes to like gender and male-female stuff, um, intuitively people are like, oh, we're not really scaling for gender, but if you think about like how we might do it on a rower or a bike or something like that, where it's the objective is preserving a stimulus, um, or we have, you know, if you have prescribed weights, you have a prescribed men's weight, prescribed women's weight, we're scaling for gender more based on preserving a stimulus, knowing that men and women are, bu are built differently in that sense. I think talking about age specifically, the number one thing that I think about when I'm coaching an athlete is just overall volume. Like, what is the overall volume of this workout for my athlete? Especially when it comes to older clientele, because I think people will tend to just change a movement, like a burpee, mm -hmm. into a sprawl to keep that older athlete moving faster because they want to get through all of the repetitions. But I don't think that like 60 repetitions for a general class is the healthiest option. It might be more like 30 for an older athlete and keeping them in full range of motion movement. So like I, I tend to look at volume first in those scenarios and trying to assess like should this client be doing 60 of something, maybe I can find a way to meet them in the middle, keep them with the movement, but keep them at a lower volume overall that's not going, like that's gonna keep them moving with quality, but allow them to move slowly through it and get their technique closer to perfect because that's what I really want a kid or an older person to do is move as close to perfect as possible. So sometimes that just means taking the overall volume down, even if we sacrifice the stimulus a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I tend to do that as well. And another thing I use, and we use them a lot here, so it's not like I have to do it often, but I like to add tempo if it's an older population. Like mostly if I'm taking the reps from, let's say 12 to six, like I still want them to get an effective, um, you know, adaptation from those reps. And if I'm cutting in half, they could still, but if I can slow down even more with just something simple as a tempo, those six reps become a lot more potent than just cutting them in half. Yeah, and then on the, the age side for, for younger side, I think we just have to understand like the nature of puberty and a changing body, you're growing, you know, what you thought you had a handle on one day, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months later, you don't really have that same handle on. So. We just need to be 
always err on the side of um, going lighter, adding tempos, so there's more of a coordination aspect as opposed to a volume or weight or intensity aspect to it. With the younger athletes too, it's simply flexibility that changes the most. Like think about their long bones and the growth spurts and the muscle cramps and how tight those muscles get. They need time to lengthen. You know, you can't just stretch twice a day for five days and be able to touch your toes again. It, it's long-term change that needs to happen in those muscles. So, you know, adapting to the athlete's range of motion. Younger athletes need more focus going back to what is their new range of motion and how can we get them moving in that safely, um, especially in hinging movements. You know, their, their posterior chain gets kind of ravaged when they start having big growth spurts. So it, it becomes tricky on the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. So the next two categories we're going to talk about is fitness level and training age. So how fit is this person in general? And, and specifically what, you know, what have they been doing recently? Are they coming to you off of, you know, a similar program to yours? Um, and you could think about even current clients. Like what is this, if you look back at this person's last six months, how much have they been attending? How much have they been coming? What are they generally at fitness level wise? And then separate from that, similar but separate would be training age. You know, is this a person that grew up playing sports? Were they exposed to some Olympic lifting um, through college, through high school? Did they do some bodybuilding, some marathon training? Like they're just going to have an exposure to so many things that's going to add a coordination benefit. It's going to add kind of this benefit of learning how to run their own engine a little bit, their, their um, energy systems. And those things play a big role in how we want to approach workouts with them and getting them appropriate challenge level without overdoing it. The only thing I'll add on that is even if, and we experience this a lot in our style of gym, even if they do have some sort of experience, um, and when I say experience or training age, like they've been doing, let's just say like straight bodybuilding for the last three years, I would still, as they're coming into more of a, uh, the style gym that we have um, still back off slightly in yeah. the beginning and most gyms know this but um, I think you can take the doses so far down and they still get a really effective workout in the first couple months and then from there they can slowly build up um, their bases on you know, strength and aerobic stuff so yeah I would just say be overly cautious maybe even more so with those people who were athletes in their earlier years. Yeah, and you have, you you can kind of also lump people in categories of sometimes people come in with a lot of experience and then other people come in with a lot of bad habits. Yeah. And, and sometimes you have to see them in a session or two to be able to distinguish. But even to your point, like if someone comes in with what looks more like experience than bad habits, they're moving well, we still don't wanna just say, oh, they're moving as well as this person that's here if they haven't done your type of training, like you still want to err on the more cautious side in terms of weights and volumes and intensities and, and give them a few weeks or a few months to ramp up and don't just try to jump to what you, what they see others doing. I think, I think for me, even on top of this is like the athlete, like someone who comes from an athletic background or an actual sport and has done like maybe they're a football athlete and they've done some lifting but they do a lot of plyo they do a lot of cardio and conditioning and so they have a great capacity for exercise and then we're going to add load and intensity and the the 
amount of push an athlete brings to a table and their nervous system is used to doing something very hard for a long time, we can actually put them at risk in certain areas if we don't, you know, pretty pretty heftily scale them in the in the early days because you know they have a lot of tenacity, they have a lot of grit, they can grind through a lot of things, and we can push that capacity in ways that harm them. Um, on yeah. the opposite side, I feel like everyone can relate to the lowest of low fitness level, and like on that side, where I see coaches go wrong frequently is like sticking to a, a number, sticking to like, oh, it's got to be a 200 meter run or it's got to be a 400 meter run. And I want you to go the distance for this 800 meters, no matter how long it takes you, instead of just prescribing a time for a stimulus to happen, you know, instead of rowing 10 calories, like the entire class is going to row 10 calories. I want you to do this in 30 seconds. So whatever you get to in 30 seconds, that's going to be your repeatable calorie every time. And maybe just looking at things more in a time domain sense for those lower athletes, not so much for those higher athletes, because they may end up with 24 calories in 30 seconds and then implode by the end of the workout. But for newer athletes, allowing them that buffer to stay with the pace of class but still do something that is more to their current capacity. Yeah, and I'd be okay with cutting down times. If you have a, a 25 minute AMRAP that you know the volume's gonna get out of control for this person, it's like, hey, you're gonna do 18 minutes and then you'll get seven minutes to chill and hang out with the class. Like, be okay with that as well, which is just like giving them wins, like being able to like the, have the win of, I finished my objective for the day, I was able to you know, not feel like I was going to throw up, maintain a consistent level of movement and technique. And, um, and then I have something to build off of. I have a baseline to build off of. Um, that leads next into consistency and time off. So this does relate a little bit to fitness level, current fitness level. Um, but we, we want to think about it specifically every time we have an athlete in front of us is like, how consistent have they been? And have they had time off recently? You know, we saw this with with COVID, people that had time off and came back, and it, 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 it makes a huge difference on what that person can handle. If we're going to be doing, you know, something like a, a hero workout or a Murph, like we want to make sure that that person, if they're going to go for the full thing, hasn't had a ton of time off coming into that workout, because those are the people that are most susceptible to rhabdo or an injury is the ones that mentally know how to go to that dark place, but physically their body's not in that, in its peak shape to go to that dark place. Yeah, we actually made the decision to move our Murph workout because of time off and consistency yeah. for pull-up volume. The year, the year of COVID, because yeah. we were shut down uh, April, May, March, April, May, we were back open to right Memorial before. Day, but it was like, this would be putting people at risk even though they've been working out at home. Yeah, I'm sure people would have been fine through the push-ups because we were heavy on the body weight assignments and people had that available to them, but hardly anybody had access to pull-ups. So yeah. just because they could do pull-ups doesn't mean that we should do that volume of pull-ups. And should we actually trust our athletes to move smartly or choose appropriate options when they're so excited to be back to the gym? No, you know, and we were a group that more so than other gyms, I think, stuck together and led our athletes through COVID shutdowns and still had the hesitation of like, is this smart? Is this a great idea? Should we be the leaders and say, no, let's do it? And we ended up doing it in July. Yeah. So we could train for it still. I think I think this one is the one that takes the most 
experienced coach to handle. Um, I'm looking at this from a, I think everything you guys said is right too, and I'm looking at it from um, time off from someone who may have just come back from an injury, a pregnancy, you name it, um, and ramping them back up properly and not letting them jump back into what they thought was their normal, which we see a lot. You know, there's someone who gets, I don't know, they tweaked something in their knee, whenever, and they've been out for three to four weeks, which doesn't sound like a long time, but if you guys have taken like a week off, you know how hard it is to jump back in. Or maybe it's been even longer than that. Maybe they had a surgery that they're coming back from. I think and pregnancy just, is the greatest example that you said. Yeah, because I mean, moms are so excited to have their body back. Yeah, and it's, it's. I mean, that's a lot of trauma to the body. So um, if you're not properly ramping them back up, almost just like they're starting over, and their their body remembers like they'll they'll probably adapt a little bit quicker than you know a brand new person, but still you, you can't let their ego get them into trouble, um, which can put them out even longer. Yeah, the, the biggest mistake when addressing pain is people think it's either rest or my normal routine. There's no in between in this spectrum, and that you know for all these whatever the time off reason is, there's an in between between rest and normal routine, and as coaches we can help shine a light on that and, and expand people's knowledge and exposure to that as opposed to furthering this um, thinking that, okay, I either took time off or I'm back and I'm doing the full thing. Yeah, and I think pregnancy is like an ultimate example because in a lot of cases in our gym, women haven't necessarily taken time off. They've worked out throughout their pregnancy, but they feel like they have been taken away from for so long in that that they're ready to come back to right. kipping, they're ready to come back to ab max sit-ups, they really want to do the things that they've taken time off for so long, but their parameters have drastically changed. They do not have you know, the strength and the stability throughout their midline to sustain any of that, but they're like chomping at the bit yeah, for it. Yeah, there's a lot they're of like, pent no baby, we're yeah. gonna go, like we're, six week checkup was great, let's start with the ab max sit-ups, and you're like, whoa, that's not the way to get your abs back together, you know? Yeah. So it can be, like you said, you need that most experienced coach on that case to be able to talk to them from a mindset perspective and talk to them from, you know, a place of caring that gets them bought into doing what's best for themselves. Cool, next one we're talking about is goals. So this is big, it's like when we take on, everything that we take on in the gym, everything we take on in life has a risk to it. So we always want to be weighing what is the risk versus the reward of this stuff. And that thought process has evolved our programming throughout the years. It's evolved how we coach people. Um, but it's really an individual decision of when you have people that have big goals, there's a certain level of risk that that person has to take on. If they want to you know, compete at the CrossFit Games, they want to be at a certain level in the open, if they want to achieve a marathon, if they want to play a sport at a high level, you know, um, college sports, pro sports, there's a, a certain amount of risk that that person is going to have to take on. And now from a strength and conditioning standpoint, we're, our goal is always to minimize that risk, but we still need to expose that person to more risk if their goal is really big. And if their goal is to just live from a general health standpoint and feel really good, now we want to take down that risk significantly and figure out where is this you know, simple low-hanging fruit that we can work with that's not gonna put this person at a massive risk. Yeah, I would agree. And I was actually watching you this morning and 
I know I think you hurt your foot in soccer, but yeah. regar- regardless of that, like you, we had a deadlift or some box jumps or something this yep. morning and you, I saw you doing like front rack, heavier front rack step ups instead of the yep. box jumps. I think that's a really good example. Like if your goal is just to live a healthy lifestyle, like is a box jump worth it to you to potentially hit your shin or, you know, whatever, maybe an Achilles thing happens. Like maybe not, maybe, maybe you just like the the feeling you do, you get in your legs when you do heavier front rack step ups. Like, you know, a lot of people um, in, in our V-Shift program specifically, like, I just really like step ups. Like, okay. And some days we'll challenge them to jump. And we do other things like running, jump rope. Those all hit the same mm-hmm. type of movement anyway. So it's like, I'm not really worried if you can or don't want to jump on a 20 inch box. Um, if you would rather for your goals or for what feels the best for you, do something like a step up. But I was just laughing because you were doing that this morning and I think that's a really good example of, you know, a movement that does have risk associated and then taking the risk out. Um, So the next one is injuries, all right? So we've kind of touched on it in other ways, but um, this is a big one. What is that person's health history? What is that person's injury history? Have they had any previous surgeries? Um, Are they on any medications? Do they have, you know, a heart issue we have to be concerned about? Um, these could be our, you know, these could be potentially the most important thing on this list because it might be a life or death situation if it's a major health issue, um, or on a serious side, but not life or death side, like a surgery, you know, we could be putting them at risk of having to have a surgery or re-injure something that had a previous surgery. So, um, this is a really big thing that we always need to be mindful of. And we should be, I mean, when we ask a drop in questions, it's like, what's your name? Where are you from? Are there any health or injury stuff I need to know about? Like those are the things that we ask when a drop-in comes in and it's one of the biggest ones that we need to scale around. Yeah, I think um, the the previous injury history doesn't ever jump out at people. They're like, oh no, I'm fine because I'm not in pain right now. And that's like the sneaky one that I find only creeps up when they have a bad snatch. Oh yeah, I, I used to have a torn labrum, but I don't really feel it anymore. Oh yeah, I have a I have a um, metal thing in my ankle, so they can't squat well, and they have hip pain because they're a little off. They, there's those things that don't really add up in their minds that could add up in our minds that when you first meet a client or first meet a drop-in, first meet you know someone coming into our gym for on-ramping, those are the things that are those potential red flags that we really want to know about that can cause us to scale in the moment when people don't think they need to be scaled. You know, if your ankle's not moving right, I am going to scale your squat. You know, I want to see if we can get that mobility better. It goes back to flexibility for the previous injury stuff and range of motion. Do they own that range of motion? Will they ever be able to? Is there anything that I can do that's going to move them into a better spot before it becomes a burning building that I need to get them out of? I also like to think about, um, I don't, and I think this is a big one that we didn't actually put on the list, but I see health as like the holistic life health. And what I'm thinking of is like those athletes, when they leave this gym, they potentially could be going to sit at a desk for nine hours. So we have a lot of impact on that. And I know this comes down to programming, but it also comes down to modifying for those people. So today's a good example. I don't know the amount of volume of deadlifts. Let's just say the amount 50, 50. 50. Okay. Let's just say it was more. Let's just say it was 80 or something and they're faster deadlifts. There's no tempo. It's just you're moving. And then you have some Bob who works a desk job 
does those 80 reps, he's fine in the, in the workout, but then he goes and sits for nine hours and he gets up after a long day and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't move. And then we repetitively do that over and over and over again to these people. That's the things I like to think about, not only when programming, but like when you have them in class, that's why I said earlier, like with the older population, I like to cut reps and add tempo. Like I want them to feel really good when they leave, <laughs> like almost like, was that hard enough type workout? Like we have days where they're hard, like aerobically, of course, but um, I don't want you to leave on like a deadlift day and be like, oh my God, that was the hardest <laughs> workout. Cause I can only imagine what tomorrow is going to feel like or the next day or you know, like if it's an aerobic workout, you leave and now like, that was really hard. It's like, okay, that was just hard because you were breathing and sweating a longer time. But yeah, there's some, some movement, movement patterns. I think you just got to be really careful depending on what that person does. Like I said, desk job, construction, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. is very important to pay attention to. Cool. Well, I got to go coach. We'll rattle, we'll rattle these last three off <laughs> quick here and, uh, and rush through them. But we, we touched on this next one. We had the next one as special populations. So we listed like, you know, pregnant postpartum clients, adapt, adaptive clients. You could put, you know, kids and teens in this category and there's other stuff that you could add into this, but you know, just having that as, as a consideration, I think these ones are pretty obvious because it's usually staring you right in the face, but, but to Mel's point about postpartum clients before that one might not be as obvious. And sometimes that client is bringing an energy of like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to crush it. And, um, and part of your job is to like, that's awesome. I'm going to help you crush it, but let's do this safely. And this is what it's going to look like to do that. Um, the next big one is what is the stimulus of the day? So, so much of this has been focused on kind of the client, their background, their needs, their goals. But now we also have to look at, well, what is the objective of the programming? What is the stimulus of that day and how can we scale to best achieve that? So like, one one example that came up for me is like we have time caps in our workouts. Sometimes those time caps are really generous and they're just there to make sure that no one's a, a really big outlier. And sometimes those time caps are really aggressive. We're trying to achieve something very specific and we want people to really push and you want to modify in a way that's going to funnel people to that stimulus, uh, uh, you know, as opposed to having this broad range of, of uh, you know, approaches and, and um, way people are tapping it. Yeah, I think like as a general rule of thumb, I'd say if we're going pretty short on a workout, it's going to be a tighter kind of kind of time cap. Going to help you move faster and feel the pressure of it. And the longer ones are going to have a little bit more generous, you know, some leeway in it and, and ability to like let people explore skills like a double under and have some buffer time built in there. I think skill movements are the ones that take away from the stimulus the most. Um, so like within those time caps, like making sure that scaling for a skill is done appropriately, like double unders versus single unders versus line hops or plate hops. Yeah. Versus um, double taps yeah. versus, Hey, you're going to actually attempt double unders and let yourself fail attempting. Yeah. Like those are all four different approaches for the same. Yeah. And they thing. could, they could all very much have a different stimulus. Someone yeah. could be able to breathe through hundreds of single unders and not feel as affected as trying a double tap or a plate hop that forces them to jump higher, yeah. uses more oxygen. So like trying to make sure that you're pushing that athlete in certain ways and not giving them something that's more like instead of box jumps, it's step ups and you're looking at, you know, jacking up the heart rate versus getting pretty sustainable and cyclical. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of things really, really make a big difference in, in the intensity of a workout 
especially when you're in a tight time. Yeah. yeah. And then the last one is any upcoming events. So this could be in-house gym events. You have a Murph event, you have a 12 days of Christmas, you have a, you know, a hero workout on a holiday of some kind. It could be an upcoming in-house competition, like the open or a regular competition that like the majority of your gym is doing. So you're going to kind of taper off or, or change the programming or make modifications based on that the day before the, the day after. Um, but it could be something that you just know that client has signed up for on their own. You know, we just had a client that did a, a really long ruck through the mountains. We have a coach that's doing the CrossFit games. We have people that do local competitions that um, are starting to ramp up training for running events or triathlons that they're going to do. And just knowing that for a client and being able to make customizations for them in class so they can perform their best is, is awesome. And it really shows that next level of, of care and wanting to do right by them. We even have a coach who's trying to play soccer. Yeah. <laughs> he has to taper every Thursday for his Friday <laughs> event. Um, and not hurt himself in that. So I think the theme of everything is just making sure that you're you're asking the right questions because without asking like really potent questions to your athletes, you're not going to get this information out of them to be able to make your most informed choice or your most appropriate scale. And and it comes down to like knowing your athletes or getting to know your athletes if you don't know. If you see something that someone's modifying something and you don't know why, make sure that you're that coach that asks them and has that forward care coming from you to make sure that they're open enough to share with you their big goal or their marathon that they're training for and making sure that you know you can discover those limitations or put them through a movement assessment and have those conversations to to make the right choices for them. Yeah, it's why the cheerleader role is so important. It's why we put it at the foundation of the pyramid is because you cannot be a great technical coach. Some of this is technician, this is programming as well, of making programming adjustments. And you cannot be great in either of those two roles unless you're a great cheerleader, unless you truly care, unless you're good at asking really good questions, connecting with people, building trust. So um, yeah, hopefully you guys found this helpful. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to any of us. It's our first name at fittown.com, Andrew, Melissa, or Austin at fittown.com. And uh, we'll see you in the next one.